Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Mimosas with Moms podcast. I'm your host, Abby Williams, and this week I am welcoming Laura Lynn Bridges, who is here to talk with us about the impacts of a high conflict divorce on your children, yourselves, and your parenting. Laura Lynn now focuses her life around empowering women and making them feel great about themselves. So welcome, Laura Lynn. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So Laura Lynn, kind of tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, Well, uh, I have a master's in science education and ed psych. Yeah. Um, And I'm now 56. So I raised my children. They're 31 to 21. Uh, Three children I raised, and I'm an empty nester. Um, About 10 years ago, I faced a divorce after 23 years of marriage. And yeah, that ended up really altering my life for a long time, about 10 years. It was a a very um, high conflict Category 5 divorce, um, which impacted me, my children, my parents, um, a lot. Uh, and I just kind of came out of that 10 year battle. Um, and during that, I actually met my current husband, re-met cause we actually went to middle school together. Yeah. So we re-met and middle school through high school together, yeah. re-met and started dating long distance. And about five years ago, we got married. And so my life looks very different uh, than it did the last 10 years. So I'm really at a good place. And, and um, uh, the challenges that I went through have really made me um, empathize with other women who are trying to balance parenting and a really high conflict divorce because, you know, parenting on a good day is tough. It's hard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you throw in this and uh, it's the, it's a, you know, it's a tough nut to crack sometimes. So I really sympathize with women who are going through it. And, uh, you know, like they say, until you've actually been through something, it's hard to understand it. Um, so I've helped a lot of women because I've been there. A lot of women call yeah. me. Um, I've written a lot for divorcemoms.com. And uh, so that's been a good thing that's come out of the last 10 years. It's been yeah, a- definitely. Mm-hmm. So your kids were pretty much grown then when you went through your divorce. Yes. My oldest yeah. child, Teddy, um, was 20 and was living on her own. In yeah. LA. She had a, a pretty established career. And, um, yeah, you know, and my children being so far apart, they experienced different family dynamics. So Teddy was 20 uh, when I explained to her that we were, her dad and I were getting a divorce. Um, I had been married 23 years. And then my baby was 10. Yeah. So I was very protective of her and my middle son. Yeah, definitely, um, because they were still in the home. They were still in yeah. the home and uh, the dynamics uh, between, I mean, we were a very unhealthy marriage. Right. Um, so those dynamics, um, and, and as time went on, the marriage got unhealthier. Right. So Teddy lived with a very different dynamic than what my younger two were, were experiencing. Yeah. So, even though the divorce, I think, impacted all the children, um, it definitely impacted Teddy Lass, and it it really has had the greater effect on my my the youngest, my two younger, yeah, 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 which I feel like is so normal. And you kind of look at um, you know like high trauma situations within family dynamics, and they do say that that like you know if you have three children in the home, it's usually the baby that has the most, you know, aftermath of the effects of it um, is very common. Yeah. And I think um, the personalities of each of the children had a, had a real significance as to how the divorce affected them. Um, And 
also their personalities, their their birth order, um, all all of that had a lot to do with how they responded, you know, to to the divorce um, and the relationship with their dad. Right. You know, they each had, um, I'll say, a relationship, but. Uh, the, the, huh, it's it's hard to kind of say this, but there was my my uh, their dad was a very absent um, person right. in the marriage in their lives. So when he was not physically absent because he traveled for work, which was an exorbitant amount of the time, yeah. when he was physically present, he wasn't emotionally present. Um. So the relationship. So you were pretty much like single parenting. Oh, I was completely single parenting. Yeah, completely. And and you know what's really funny is that dynamic worked for us. Yeah. Um, this was not a marriage that was based on like I hate to say it, but it was not a marriage that was based on love. Right. Um, it was a marriage that was based on um kind of a cognitive decision on both of our parts yeah. for different reasons. So we we thought it was a good decision at the time yeah. when we were married and we were very young. Um, he was 22 and I was 23. Um, so we thought, oh, this is going to be great. We thought, you know, on paper, everything looked great. We shared, we thought the same values and we both wanted at the time a big family. He yeah. changed his mind on that as time went on. <laughs> Um, so right away, very early on, when we actually got married, it became extremely apparent that this was not a husband and wife marriage. It was like two people living together that were somehow being partners yeah. to, uh, like, I wanted children. I wanted a family. He wanted to work and have a very successful career. So I did everything at home. And created this pretty much storybook life, and yeah. he worked. Yeah. So I so mean, he just like funded your yeah. like vehicle exactly for the perfect oh, life. <laughs> and and he liked it, don't get me wrong, because he loved to present this perfect image. Yeah. So we each hand kind of washed the other because you know we were like the storybook perfect family, yeah. and. I looked like, you know, the perfect Stepford wife in the home. You know, we through the years, we we kind of grew to a, a really um, polished look. Yeah, right? yeah. And uh, worked very hard at it. And so he loved that. You know, he loved to say this is, you know, this is. And, and of course, our oldest child was very talented. Yes. And my ex loved that. So his interaction with my oldest child was all based on that child's talent. Yeah. So my accent. You're making me look good. So. Third, that, oh, yeah. yeah. Third, <laughs> very involved in that. And, yeah. and how that filtered down then to the other two was they, there was nothing for, I mean, there was like no interaction. Yeah. I used to kind of force the interaction sometimes, like when he would come home from a business trip, I would put a book in his hand and say, please read this, you know, to our daughter, our youngest, yeah. go clean the kitchen. And she has memories of that, which is so funny. And I think that's great. Yeah. Um, but he was just, it didn't come naturally and it still doesn't, unfortunately. Um, so it's, it's been a tough road and watching my children, go through this has been very hard. Yeah. Yeah. Because now they don't really have any interaction with him. My older two do not. Um, My younger one does simply, well, she's trying. She's, she's a little bit of a bleeding heart. Um, And God bless her. She's really trying. And, and, you know, he's actually lucky to have her because if it weren't for her, you know, everyone's so damaged. She's the one who's kind of like always giving him the benefit of the doubt. And, but you know what? She was the little girl. And I think I hate to say this, but you know, I think she's dying for daddy's attention. Yeah. 
And that breaks my heart too, because I just think that we're like biologically hardwired that way, you know, where like you want your parents to love you and you want their approval. And and that's so hard to see during the holidays is really hard because there's nothing special done for them um, by him. You know, I've always been the one to provide the special, uh, things for them, the traditions, the everything, you know, but I do they see him at all during the holidays. My daughter will. Yeah. Um, that's it. Yeah. But it, you know, it's so hard to see. I mean, yeah. it's so as a mom, I felt so guilty, like, like during the marriage, when he wasn't present during the holidays, emotionally, it really didn't matter because they didn't even really notice, you know, it's like there was so much going on and there was so much love and I had so much tradition, you know, yeah. baking cookies, making wrapping paper, um, <laughs> you know, decorating the house to the minds, entertaining. Um, I had my family staying with us during the holidays a lot and they were very close to their cousins, um, my sister's children. So they never like noticed a lacking. Yeah. Um, and then after a divorce, when it's like, okay, now what's my relationship with my dad? Oh, I have none. <laughs> you know, right. that, that sucks for them. And I felt really guilty. I remember it was much easier to make it less obvious during the marriage yeah. that dad was absent, you know. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot harder after the divorce. So... I know, because you kind of term this as a high conflict divorce. So kind of tell us what that means. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, I, I don't even know where to begin to explain it because half of the time people don't believe it. Yeah. They don't believe it. They're just like, that is not possible. And And the thing is, if you study high conflict divorce, there's a component where the, and it doesn't always have to be the husband, the ex-husband. In a high conflict divorce, there is a component where one of the ex-spouses is basically hell bent on destroying the other spouse and at any cost. Right. And a lot of times it's the cost of the kids. So that dynamic, um, is really an important dynamic because people just, I mean, I, my girlfriends would be just like, what does he do? Does he just lie in bed awake at night trying to think up these crazy ways to like, you know, basically. Yeah. So, you know, it's almost mind boggling um, how high conflict divorces can be. And if you're dealing with a personality that a lot of times is, um, you know, at the forefront of a high conflict divorce, a personality that is narcissistic. Yeah. Um, You know, they have this kind of external desire to win and they're so driven. And if you have a covert narcissist, which is what I was dealing with, they're like brilliant. It's like a whole different level of thought. Um, And you can't almost follow it. Like, Every time he would do something that was so bizarre, I would be shocked. And right. like my friends would be like, how come you're always shocked? I'm like, I can't believe that this is my it. life. <laughs> I mean, like, like, I just thought a divorce meant you get divorced, yeah. and you go your separate ways, and you have your children that connect you. Um, like, play fair. You know, like play fair. But it's so funny because one of the red flags, you know, they always say there are red flags with people uh, who will end up being high conflict people. One of the red flags, and I swear to God, and this will give you an idea of how how it ran. One of the red flags was he always had to win. Whether he was playing tic-tac-toe with our three-year-old or, you know, a board game, he had to win. Yeah. Playing tennis. You know, like when you're teaching your kids to play tennis, he would like drive a, a ball like a hundred miles an hour across the court <laughs> at our like six year old. I'd be like, for God's sakes, you know, let him let him return it. But yeah. 
it was like the game was always the win was always paramount. And when he, I couldn't even play games with him anymore because like when he and I would play backgammon, he would take, and I kid you not forever to make one move because he was looking at all the possible moves that could come from that one move. You're like, this isn't fun anymore. <laughs> I don't have time for that. I'm like, move the piece. So that's how the divorce was. The divorce yeah. was me just like, this doesn't have to be like, just move, you know, doesn't have to be so premeditated. And so was it like super long and drawn out just well, to play games with you or? Oh yeah. Well, this is the funny thing. I, um, you know, it, because it wasn't a good marriage, I was not shocked when he asked for the divorce, but we were actually in a counseling session. Yeah. Yes. We went to marriage therapy every week. Yeah. And every week the therapist would say like, um, maybe you could just call once a day and check in on her and the kids when you're out of town and like, you know, all over the world. Maybe you could just check in because that's what <laughs> I wanted. Yeah. I wanted to have some kind of relationship. Yeah. And it just could never happen. It could just never happen. So when he was in town, we would go to marriage therapy, like on his lunch hour once a week. He'd squeeze it in and nothing changed. Like we just lived this way. Nothing ever got better. So the one time, and I'll never forget this, the day he asked for the divorce, we're in marriage therapy. And he, he had been out of town for two weeks in Montreal on a business trip. Yeah. And when he came home. He barely spoke to anybody in the house, like literally never spoke to anybody. He would get up in the morning, get ready for work and leave. And my daughter would be sitting there having cereal. He'd never acknowledge her. Yeah. I mean, it was so sad. But yeah, I was like heartbreaking, really. That, oh, like you just like can't connect with people. But I would be like doing cartwheels for my daughter. Like, you know, <laughs> always, I was always like, pointing the screen, you know. Right. Um, so... Yeah. So I remember him being gone for two weeks and not saying one word to anybody when he got back, not acknowledging anybody. So we go to the first therapy session that week and the therapist goes, who wants to start? And I'm like, I do. And she's like, what's going on? And I'm like, you know, it's just not, it's, I, I'm so frustrated. He was gone for two weeks. He just came home. He's, he hasn't said one word to me or the kids. He's just so shut down. And She's like, okay, all right. I, you know, just heard it. Like she had right. heard it constantly. She looks at my ex and she's like, Ann, what do you have to say? And he's like, I want a divorce. And I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> you want a divorce? Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, I've been spending time with this coworker on business trips and this trip really sealed the deal. Now my jaw is yeah, like, you're just I'm like, what is this life? Yeah. Wait, I thought you had no interest in anybody. <laughs> but I guess you have, you know, I guess it's selective. Yeah. So I was shocked. I was blown away. And I could just remember saying, like, well, I know this isn't a good marriage, but we've got kids. And yeah. you know, and, and I remember saying, Can't we wait till they get out of high school? And he was like, No, 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 I want it now. So I was like, fine, let's do it fast. So literally. We, we we took a 23-year marriage and dissolved it in three months. Yeah. I just, and I was so stupid. I, I will tell anybody out there, never do that. If, really? Oh, yeah. If you have children, don't divorce quickly. I, I mean, I was just so uh, kind of shocked by him asking and kind of like, okay, then let's get this done. You know, I'll, I'll move quickly. I'll move the piece. Let's get this done. And then I can get on with my life and maybe find. Cause to me, like that sounds better. Yeah. A life with somebody else. Yeah, I'd and rather just like rip the bandaid off and like, exactly. let's just like go on. Exactly. So I was like, my kids might have a chance now, but like yeah. having a father figure. So yeah. I was like, let's get this party started. You want a divorce? Let's do it. So I remember agreeing to the most re ridiculous divorce agreement. Oh, I, I kid you not. There was like no negotiating. Yeah. Well, first of all, I remember my lawyer saying to me, he will not give you a stick of gum. Yeah. I mean, you are going to have to fight him in court for everything. 
he will not give you a stick of gum. And I was like, well, I'm not fighting in court for anything. (laughs) It was such a wrong move. Yeah. It was such a bad move. I had no idea what I was setting myself up for. So you set yourself up to walk away with all the kids and nothing. Yeah. And like, that what happened? I was a stay-at-home mom for 23 yeah. years. Yeah. And we had had, I mean, my kids had an extremely affluent lifestyle. I mean, you know, Mercedes, BMW, huge McMansion, country club, vacations. My daughter's bedroom, if you watch Cribs, because yeah. at the time my oldest child was a big, you know, pop star. Uh, there was an episode of Cribs on our house and my daughter's bedroom was like, fantasy land. Her playroom yeah. was like F.A.O. Schwartz. Yeah. So I just kind of thought, okay, we'd get divorced, but he would still continue to take care of his children. Right. So I actually did. I mean, I remember looking at the divorce agreement and going, well, this really doesn't provide anything. But so I said to him, but you're going to take care of the kids, right? Like you're going to pay for college. So we had nothing put in writing for college or anything because yeah. I had his verbal agreement that he would take care of the kids. So I didn't know that that was a dumb move. I just believed he would. Right. Um, And, oh, the reality of signing a poorly um, negotiated divorce agreement. Yeah. Lifelong impact for, really, for your children and for yourself. It had, uh, it, yeah, if anything, if, anyone listening to this podcast who's facing or in the middle of a high conflict divorce, do not, uh, what's the word? How can I put it? Yeah. Do not settle and, and make, I mean, three months to, to dissolve a 23 year marriage. Yeah. I basically, like I said, I, I just agreed and I had a lot of faith and hope that he would take care of the kids. I mean, I knew I'd be okay. I know. And it's like probably such like a catch 22 and like just so hard to like what side is better because when you're dealing with somebody like this or like these high conflict situations, I think it's like, okay, I can either rip the bandaid off and get out of this and like go on about my life or I'm going to be dragging this on and it's going to be just like excruciating for who knows how long because they're just going to fight me over everything. So right. what is like the better of two evils kind of? Isn't that the truth? And, and <laughs> I think it's so hopeless. For you know, women. yeah, yeah. If you've talked to women who have endured high conflict divorce, yeah. I mean, it's taken them out. I mean, these women are physically exhausted. Yeah. They're shells of themselves because I, I kind of relate it. And, and I don't know how you feel about this, but, you know, disease which is yeah. ease. Yeah. Like when you hear the word cancer, you kind of, you know, you pull your boots up, you know, you know, it's going to be awful. You kind of, I don't know, there's, there's books, there's people who have gone through it before there's support groups. I don't know. It almost seems like it's a extremely difficult challenge but you have like doctors supporting you. You have protocol. Uh, when it's a high conflict divorce, everybody retreats. You're like really thrown into a lion pit. Yeah, by and, yourself. Yeah, and people just don't. There's no pro. There's not. There's how? How do you explain it? There's no framework. Yeah. I know, because there are, like, divorce groups out there, but is it for, like, this level of, like, battle that you're going through physically, emotionally, mentally, financially, you know, this whole thing of, and then you have the family that is impacted as well, like the extended family, you know, maybe you were close to your in-laws, and now you're losing that side of the family, Um, you know. I, I will tell you one funny story that'll give yeah. you an idea of how high. <laughs> um, so he, after, after this divorce was done in three months, you would yeah. think it would be over. Right. But it's, it started then because my idea of avoiding court and getting it done in three months. No, 
he literally took me back to court so many times. I think there were 18 summonses that I would receive um, about the littlest things, Um, things that should have been able to be solved outside of court were brought into court. And I would say to him, like, we could solve this, you and I. Let's yeah. give common sense. The first thing he sued me for was over mileage on our family car, which was a Mercedes. Yeah. He drove a BMW, which he made sure was <laughs> stick shift. And I couldn't drive a stick shift. So I never drove his car because I could right. never drive a stick. So his car was a BMW sports car. Our family car was a Mercedes. We had at least. So the last, like, probably six months of the lease was after the divorce. Yeah. So in the divorce, he got his car. I got the leased car that was going to be up within six months. And he had in the divorce agreement something that I never even thought about. It said that when I took the car, I took over all indebtedness. So I thought that meant I paid the lease. Right. Till the end of the lease, which I did. Right. Um, But- of course, when we go to turn it in, because it had been our family car and we had driven it on family vacations to like Cape May and different places, it had over mileage. Yeah. But now when the time of the divorce, I took over the car legally and took over the payments, I had an odometer reading because I had to pay for my own car insurance. And the odometer reading at the time um, was documented. And then when I went to turn in the car lease, I had put hardly any miles on the car because I was just dropping my kids off at school every once in a while. Yeah. So when, when he, he, you know, there were over miles on the car, he had never taken the lease out of his name, but I was paying him the yeah. payments and I had my own insurance. So the indebtedness on the over miles came to him. Right. And I said, oh, okay, I'll, I'll you know, I, I have the odometer reading from when I took it over. We'll split the miles. You know, if they were marital yeah. miles, I'll split them with you. Yeah. And he said, no, you'll pay them all. And I said, <laughs> well, why? Yeah. And he said, because you signed a divorce agreement saying that you would take over all indebtedness. Indebtedness. And I said, well, <laughs> like this is just so literal. <laughs> like, okay, but we yeah. both know I have the odometer, you know, like, yeah. so I'll split it with you. No, I'm taking you to court. I'm suing you for the whole thing. Now, I'm like, this is ridiculous, right? You're right, right. going to laugh us out. Like, why are we wasting the court's time? We go in, I win. Right. We present the case, I win. He appeals it. <laughs> Okay. Like this is going to come back any different? No. So no, <laughs> I'll tell you how it did come back different. He appeals it and he's out of town on a business trip during the one court session. So I actually text him. He's out of town. And I go, look, court's tomorrow. I know you're out of town. Yeah. Um. Why don't we just forget it? Forget the appeal. I'll still pay half, even though I won you yeah. know, and, and you're supposed to pay the whole thing. I'll still pay half. He said, no, I want to go to court. You're going to pay the whole thing. So I'm like, oh my gosh. So I show up to court thinking he's not even in town. A lawyer shows up to defend him. Yeah. So he hires a high powered attorney. I tell you what, the thousand dollars for the over miles, he yeah. hired an attorney for a thousand dollars to fight a thousand dollars. So this just like isn't even about money. This is like about I won't I won't hire an attorney. Petty stuff. I'm yeah. like, I won't hire an attorney. I'm like, I'm not hiring an attorney. This is ridiculous. The judge right. is gonna see my point. Well, as I'm in there, his lawyer is really good. And right. like saying all this stuff, my head's spinning, they win. And and the lawyer goes, you know, she hey, she signed it. You know, she signed it. That's the yeah. law. And and um, and if we win, she has to pay his lawyer fees for me. And it, that's what it says in the divorce agreement. If ever you, you have a conflict and go to court, right. whoever wins, the other person has to pay their legal fees. So the judge is like, yeah, okay. So then we get the letter. I have to pay his legal fees. I have to pay the full thousand. And... 
what I had already paid him, I don't know if you've ever leased a car, but you have to pay like this. Uh, it's like so many cents like per mile that you go over, right? But, but you have to pay this like return fee. It's got yeah. a name. And it was like one payment. So it was like $650. And I had yeah. already paid my ex that. Yeah. Like when I took over the lease payments. So the judge didn't know that. And it was in the order. So the order had me paying for the over miles, his lawyer, and this return fee that I had already paid him. So I go, when finally somehow we communicate and he's like, okay, I need the check for all of that from you, like by this date. And I'm like, okay, I was really upset. I'm like, fine, you know, gritting my teeth as I'm writing it. I go, but I'm not going to add the 600 and whatever, because I already paid you that. And he goes, no, you have to, because it's in the order. I go, yeah, but you and I both know I already paid you that. And he goes, but the judge put it in the order. So if you don't want to pay me it, we have to go back to court. I'm like, I don't believe it. You're not, you're going to make me pay for something. We both know I, I already paid you for He was like, yeah. So but, there was just like many instances yeah, probably yeah. like this. That's how it went. Yeah. yeah. And then the funny one was when he tried to have my mother arrested on mother's day, because you know, it, it, it was just like, it was one thing after another. So it was exhausting. It was, It actually sounds funny, but when you're trying to take care of your children after a divorce and their hearts are broken and their life is disrupted and all of a sudden the money, the lifestyle that they once had completely is not there. So all those promises when I would like go and say, okay, you know, um, our little one's camp is due. She was 11. She was doing the camp. And it was like a lot of money at the time. I think it was like a thousand dollars. And I was like, okay, I need that. Um, And he was like, no, I'm not paying that. And I'm like, but you verbally said you would. And he's like, yeah, it's not in writing. So then I had, I mean, like I was subbing, you know, I, I, yeah. I have a good job. I was subbing, teaching. Um, my parents had to help me send her to yeah. camp. It was brutal. So that stress and strain um, of making really bad decisions during- it's very emotionally taxing. Yeah, yeah, during the divorce, making those bad decisions of not really crossing my T's and dotting my I's and making sure I had everything in writing so that my kids were provided for. Um, this hope that it was just going to work out. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was hardest on my kids because they really, I, I was, you know, feel like they got it or were they resentful? They were, they were resentful and I give them every, I understand that completely because I fell apart. I completely was not expecting this and I was not prepared. So I was like, like my, my, my daughter talks about it. You know, mom, you were a different mom before and after the divorce. Yeah. Before the divorce, I came home every day and you made pink cupcakes with me and we played games and you made dinner and you gave me a bath and read to me and put me to bed and we said our prayers and you were always happy. Yeah. And we went on vacations and I had everything I wanted. And then after the divorce, we lived, you because she and I lived together. It was a yeah. long story about custody. Um, you know, you were you were just so stressed. Yeah. There was never any money. Um, dad, you know, I You were in survival was- mode, probably. Yeah. yeah. So I understand their life literally blew up. Um yeah. and I'll tell you. The hardest thing, Abby, is knowing, seeing your kids suffer through all of this. Yeah. Like you can't do anything. Like with the holidays coming up. Yeah. Hardest to just know that, you know, you're going to provide all you can for them, all the happy traditions and all the, but then there is that other parent that it's going to be this void, you know, and that's tough. That's really hard because- like I said, when we were living together as a family, I could hide that void well. Right. But after after the divorce, it was hard. Um, so I understand how moms who had to endure a high-conflict divorce with their children facing the holidays, it's extra daunting. It's just 
it's like, you know, it's, yeah, it's supposed to be like this happy time. And there's just like so many people that struggle around this time of the year, you know, for many different reasons. And this is definitely one of them. Yeah. How do you feel like you have kind of now evolved out of this? Because now you have like this really happy life, you're remarried. Yeah, Yeah. I, I finally, um, I know this sounds really crazy. And this is probably a whole other uh, episode of, of, um, introspection, yeah. but at, at like in my, like maybe a couple of years ago, I was in therapy because I, I had like, um, diagnosed post-traumatic stress, yeah. whatever that is from the high conflict divorce. Yeah. I mean, there, there was a million things that happened and constantly going back to court and, you know, having to deal with the corrupt court system. And, you know, you want to tell your story, but they don't want to hear the story. They just look at the bottom line and it, it's a, it's a hell. It's a true. Yeah. Hell. So I went into therapy and in part of that, the biggest thing, and this is going to sound so crazy, this feeling <laughs> of her, um, you know, you talk about your own childhood and I was always very um, open about the fact that my childhood was very difficult and stressful. Yeah. And, um, you know, my dad was a highly addictive personality to gambling and alcohol and food and rage. And my mom was phobic and depressed. And there was a tremendous amount of parental neglect. Yeah. So I learned to live with having value by constantly doing and providing value. So I was like constantly trying to earn love. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, when I have my own family, I'm going to do all these things for my kids and I'm going to have all these traditions because my childhood was very lonely and very sad. Yeah. So once I got married, I just, you know, my kids were my focus and everything was for them Then with the divorce, what I realized was, and this sounds so crazy, but way back when, when I chose that husband, I chose somebody who was emotionally neglectful and vacant. I chose that same dynamic I had in my childhood. It's so common though. And it's so hard not to be repeating these cycles, you know what I I mean? And especially when like you're doing it at a very young age, you know, you got married in your early twenties, like who's thinking of this like long-term, you know what I mean? This is how, how smart I thought I was being. (laughs) The guy that I married, see my dad was a Sicilian, right? So he, he drank and he gambled and he, well, my guy I was marrying was like, no emotion. So I'm thinking, oh, this is great. This it's is safer. That. Yeah. This is going to work because yeah. my parents had such a terrible marriage, even though they're still married. <laughs> terrible marriage. I, the, the family dynamic was so messed up. Yeah. This guy's 180 degrees different from my dad. So this will work. Well, I didn't realize that it comes in different colors, like yeah. neglect. And emotional abuse has many different faces. Yes, it does. And the bottom line was still he wasn't present. Yeah. I didn't matter. Just like I really didn't matter in my childhood. My parents were too consumed with their lives, what was going on in their, you know, function. So, yeah. so, So that's what changed for me in my current life is I finally realized that I chose a situation that was very unhealthy because it's what I knew. Yeah. Even though I didn't cognitively realize that. I know. We like, you know, I talk about this, but I've talked about this before where I just like do, I think you very like consciously have to examine your childhood once like you get to adulthood and like, what is my little girl inside of me? bringing to the table here? How am I going to heal her if, you know, she didn't get what she needed in childhood? How am I going to make sure my children aren't, you know, I'm not acting out certain trauma situations on my children? How am I going to show up differently in my different relationships? You know, 
it's so hard. <laughs> it's a lot of work. That's and I, and I don't think that like, you know, most people even like think of that, you know, you're just like going through the motions and in life and you're like, okay, you know, you're checking your boxes. I graduated high school. I'm going off to college. I'm getting married. I'm having children. Yes. You know, we're not even like thinking back to, you know, how did my parents discipline me? What kind of, you know, things am I bringing into all my relationships as a result of this. And I got to tell you, without, like we don't. <laughs> the divorce, I don't think I ever would have yeah. had a breakthrough. Right. Because, I mean, I would have just continued living. Right. Right. Being, being invisible. Right. That's and, all you knew. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it really got me to take a look at it now. And now I, I find that I really value myself so much more in my yeah. head. Current husband is like, shoot. <laughs> I wish you were yeah. a little less healed. <laughs> yeah. I, no, that would have been great doing everything for me and not yeah. asking for anything back. I mean, that would have been great. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny. So now you have like this beautiful life. You got treatment for yourself, which I cannot like speak more highly of like, go get your therapy you know, do the work on yourself. Oh, yeah. I wish that like we had to do this anyway. You know what I mean? Like it was a thing that you graduate high school, you go to therapy. <laughs> no, honestly, God, I think, you yeah. know, if I hadn't had the, the that kind of breakdown yeah. where my whole life kind of just crumbled yeah, and I was able to actually look at it through. I remember when my therapist was like, well, you chose a marriage exactly like your childhood. And I was like, like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I was like, no, are you kidding me? I mean, I, you know, my, my house, uh, was day and night, you know, yeah. the, the dynamic of my dad versus my husband, but no, the, the, it's the underlying current that, yeah. you know, there's, there's the noise that makes everything look so different, but if you could peel it away and look at the underlying current that was consistent which is you don't matter. Yeah. You don't matter. And, uh, and what, what's so hard too, is like when you're dealing with a narcissist, you matter a lot in very small intervals, like that company Christmas party, or, you know, you know, you're like the token. Yeah. How can I put it? So you're you like the thing that makes my life look good and normal, you know, you're my yeah. shiny thing. Yeah. You become pretty important at certain yeah. times, which kind of feeds you, you know, it kind of keeps you there. Yeah. But then, you know, the longer it goes on, uh, those, those times become less and less frequent. And obviously somebody else popped up that was doing a better job of providing whatever the narcissist needed at that yeah. time. Yeah. Um, and you know, that happens so much. It's Do you feel like that whole like kind of chapter of your life is closed oh, now? Yeah, now that like the kids are oh, yeah, grown? Yeah. I mean, it, the, the court dates went up for 10 years. Yeah. I mean, it just stopped when my daughter was rounding about 21 because he knew, he, you know, legally he didn't have a, a hook in me anymore to keep yeah. pulling me back into court. Yeah. So that was tremendous. But my heart still breaks for my kids. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Every time I hear, and then see, it's not a good dynamic because <laughs> every time my kids will say, they'll, they'll say something where, you know, their dad was emotionally vacant or physically yeah. vacant for yeah. them. And it, it, you know, I'm a mama bear. It still riles me up. It still breaks my heart. It still affects me. And yeah. and basically, you know, I think that'll be around forever because unfortunately I have the, these kids with this person. So yeah. a lot of times like, and see, it's like, it all comes down to, I just shouldn't expect anything different, but oh, no. because I'm this like eternal optimist, I'm <laughs> always disappointed. I'm like always hoping one day, you know, the kids will matter to him uh, more than his current supply. And 
it's just not going to happen. But I'm like eternally optimistic. Like, so yeah, but yeah, it's, I mean, the longer it goes, the more I've, I really have come to peace with the fact that my heart more distance from it now. Yeah. My heart breaks a little bit every time my kids say something that, you know, they're, they're kind of venting about the pain. I I, I get protective. I still do. I always will. But, you know, we laugh about it more now, which is good. We really do. I mean, and my relationship with my three children is so beautiful right now. It's really, and I remember people saying like, they'll get older, they'll understand. And they did. I mean, and that's like the thing that, you know, kind of like listening to you talk about the heartbreak of their relationship with their father, you know, I just like, I feel like you can't force other people's relationships. They're going to make their own decisions about their relationship with their dad. He's going to make his own decisions about his relationship with his kids. And all you can do is like pour into your relationships and, you know, look at like these beautiful relationships that you have with them because of the time and the effort that you put into them. You just said such a golden nugget of wisdom right there. (laughs) You really, you really did because it, it comes down to that time when you really do realize that whether you want their dad to be, you know, change and, and love them or include them, whether you want that to happen or not, it's, it's, you have no control. Yeah. You have no control. So that, that nugget of wisdom of when you realize that all you can do is love them. Yeah. You just show up and be their mother. And that it does work. And I remember my girlfriends, because sometimes my kids were the hardest on me and they were like, they're the hardest on you because you're their they safe place. Them. Yeah. They, they know you, that you're there. Yeah. And that's why they can leash or lash out. Yeah. Um, and so th- that was tough. And I know a lot of mo- moms go through that. Yeah. Because and I think that, you know, as mothers, we all go through that, like through all the different seasons, you know what I mean? You're I'm in the trenches with two toddlers right now. And you're just like, Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> Leave yes. me alone for two minutes. Like just cut me a break one day, you know, but like I'm their safe place. That's where they're going to have their tantrums. You know, they go to school and they're fine or they go to the sitter and they're fine. And then they come home and they let all their it's feelings yeah. hang out. You know what I mean? And, and I think that like we continue to do this throughout our lives. We show our ugliest self to yeah. the person that's safest. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It never really goes away. No. (laughs) We get better coping skills, hopefully. And (laughs) moms just do things that other people just I remember when my middle guy had the flu and he was uh, he was only about 10 months old and he was violently throwing up. And he would just stand in the shower because you know a 10-month-old just throw up hanging his head into a bowl. I would just hold him, I had sweats on, and I would just hold and he would just throw all over me. And then You're I like, I don't know what to do. I would just gently like run a shower on both of us. Like I was in these sweat, old sweatpants and sweatshirts. And I just were like, who lets their kid grow up all over them? What a mother that's like in survival mode, just right. trying to get through it. Yeah, I know. And I just remember, you know, rolling my eyes in the shower going, I cannot believe I am doing yeah. I'm just covered in vomit. It just, it was the easiest way for him to throw up was just to kind of be over my shoulder and throw a bomb. Moms are just like amazing creatures. We really are. Yeah. You know, we really are. And we're so strong, you know, we're resilient. We get through it. You keep on checking on that. I used to be afraid to say that like, Oh gosh, that sounds so, but no, you're right. Damn it. Yeah. (laughs) You are right. (laughs) That's true. So Laura Lynn, kind of tell us where um, my listeners and followers can find you. Well, that's a good, that's a good point. (laughs) I feel like just recently I have had um, this evolving uh, passion to really live well. Yeah. Just to really live well and uh, stand up for myself and kind of just put myself out there and try to just inspire and educate in, you know, 
through things I've been through and share. And Instagram, I have just been, I used to do Facebook and I still kind of do it, but they can find me on Instagram. I mean, Facebook's kind of like, I, you know, it's, it's a different platform for me, but Instagram is where I'm really trying to uh, be a positive force and energy that people can. I find it easier on Instagram too. Yeah, I really do. So it's like, it's easier to connect with people on there. I don't know what it is. It really is. And yeah. on Instagram, I'm at just dot Lori Lynn because yeah. I used to love that just Jack thing. Yeah. Remember, you'd be like, just Jack. And now <laughs> I feel like, you know, I'm just Lori Lynn. So yeah. it's at just dot Lori Lynn. Yeah. And then you have your web page as well. I do. Yeah. yeah. That's going to be redone. Yeah. Yeah, it's called actually because my new last name is Bridges. So it's called Bridges Back Home. Yeah. And I kind of like that. I really love that. Yeah. Because it's about kind of like, you know, crossing over, yeah. crossing back into a new, you know, uh, kind of like what it always should have been. So it's yeah. kind of like being home. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I do. Well, Laura Lynn, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you. I'm so happy that you're like on the other side of it and you're doing well. And yes, and please let your listeners know know that really I know how dark it can get sometimes and painful and lonely, but hang in there because it's going to, the sun will shine again. Sun will shine again. And I think that that's kind of, you know, the powerful thing of what you're doing now and the social media and being on Instagram is like, no matter what you're going through, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Somebody else out there has gone through it too. And mm-hmm. find, find your community, yes. find your people. And, Absolutely. You know, be strong. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. All right. Well, cheers, Laura Lynn. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Did you enjoy this episode? Please be sure to leave a five-star rating and review and be sure to tell your friends. You can find Laura Lynn on Instagram at just.lauralynn, Facebook, Laura Lynn Rizzo Bridges, or her webpage, www.bridgesbacktohome.com. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Mimosas with Moms, and you can email me at the number two, mimosamoms at gmail.com.